Thanks for joining Sapelo Nerds, a coastal science podcast. I'm your host, Corinne. And I'm your host, Brittany. And we work at the National Estuarine Research Reserve, or NEAR, on Sapelo Island, a Georgia barrier island. Today, we're going to talk to you about the other residents of the barrier islands. The people. And not just any people. That's right. The most elusive of humans. The millionaires. While the Barrier Islands have been homes to diverse people over numerous generations, one group that always seems to stick out for their unusualness. During the the 1900s, ultra-rich socialites bought up the Georgia's coast and used the islands as their own personal playgrounds. Some for good, others... Not many people realize the amount of million and billionaires that used to own land across our barrier islands. In Georgia, we have had numerous famous landowners who most prized the coast's seclusion and privacy, not to mention the sprawling nature. For example, did you know that the Jekyll Island Club was the most exclusive social club at the time, with possibly the greatest concentration of wealth the world had seen? The Jekyll Island Club was a private club founded in 1886 with membership limited only to the ultra-elite. Most notably, some of the names include Rockefeller, Morgan, Astor, Gould, Vanderbilt, Pulitzer, and McCormick, among many others. It was said of its members that in times of crisis, they were more powerful than the government itself. At least one government act originated on the island, the Federal Reserve Act, with J.P. Morgan considered the mastermind. When Jormans torpedoed a tanker nearby in 1942, the government ordered Jekyll Island evacuate and placed it under the protection of the Coast Guard. After this, along with the death of many of its members and because of income taxes, Jekyll Island Club was closed. The club was designated a historic landmark in 1978 and reopened as a luxury resort in 1985. While you can still stay there for a few hundred bucks a night, the old grandeur remains through the upper crust activities like historic tours, croquet, carriage rides, tennis, golf, airplane fly-ins, yacht docking, private beachfronts, horseback riding, and much more. It's hard to talk about local preservation amongst millionaires without mentioning Henry Ford. A lot of listeners will probably be surprised to hear that Henry Ford owned a large portion of the Brian Neck region around Richmond Hill, Georgia. He originally purchased 70,000 acres from the land along the Ogeechee River. His 2,000-acre estate and mansion remains today at the Ford Field and River Club, a luxury private sporting community. There is also Osaba Island, located between St. Catharines Island and Wausau Island on the coast. Osaba's Spanish Revival main house was built as the winter residence of Dr. Henry Norton Torrey. The entire 26,000 acres of Osaba Island in 1924 for only $150,000 after Greenwich burned. Dr. Torrey was a prominent Detroit physician whose wife, Nellie Ford Torrey, was the granddaughter of John Baptiste Ford, the founder of the Pittsburgh Plate Glass Company. Dr. Torrey died in 1945, and upon his wife's death in 1959, the island was inherited by their daughter, Eleanor Sandy Torrey West, and her late brother's heirs. But Sandy was the only one really interested in living there full-time, and it became her domain. The Torrey West family clearly was committed to conservation at Ossibal. Fearheaded by Sandy, their philanthropic support was legendary in fostering connections between art and science at this island retreat. In 1961, Sandy and her husband, Clifford West, established the Osaba Island Foundation, which served as an artist colony from October until June each year. 
Sandy sold the island to the state of Georgia through the Nature Conservancy in 1978, retaining a life estate. She lived in the main house until 2016, at which time she moved to Savannah to an assisted living facility. She passed away at 108 years old. Although many people think of the millionaire era as a time of invading people and principles, these wealthy family, like the Tory Wests, contributed greatly to the landscape of Georgia's coast today. It was during the 1970s when Georgia began enacting laws to protect our salt marsh and shoreline, which we have spoken about in previous episodes. The Georgia Coastal Marshlands Protection Act was spurred on, surprisingly, by the uber-wealthy who inhabited the barrier islands. Most of these landowners wanted to preserve the magical place that they now called home, to ensure their privacy and to prevent Georgia from becoming like many crowded vacation spots in Florida and the Carolinas. The support went a long way, with many of these landowners voting to turn their property over to the state to help ensure the conservation of the islands. In our description, you can find a link to the book Coastal Nature, Coastal Culture by Paul Sutter as a great resource for understanding the environmental history of Georgia, particularly with regards to the players that helped to ensure our coast remained protected from overdevelopment. Yes, that's sort of what happened with Sapelo when R.J. Reynolds, the tobacco heir, came to live on the island. Although many questioned his methods of purchase, he ended up with over 16,000 acres of the island. He had originally purchased the land from another millionaire, Howard Coffin, the owner of the Hudson Motor Car Company in Detroit. R.J. Reynolds used the island as his personal playground for over 30 years. He revitalized the mansion on the island and helped to create the University of Georgia's Marine Institute. When he died, his widow, Anne-Marie Schmidt Reynolds, sold the land to the Department of Natural Resources in 1969 and the final piece in 1976, which later created our National Estuarine Research Reserve. And even more recently, the remnants of the millionaire era can still be felt on Georgia's coast. Billionaire Philip Anschutz, an owner of the LA Kings hockey team, purchased nearby Sea Island and plans to keep portions of it undeveloped. He and other wealthy homeowners also contribute to the St. Simons Land Trust, an organization that has bought about a thousand acres of St. Simons through local contributions in order to preserve it. Yep, and Alec Robertson, a former international banker, recently spent $15 million of his own money to restore an eight-acre beach on Tybee. The project involved nearly 50,000 cubic yards of sand. This costly project was necessary as scientists hypothesize that climate change will cause stronger storm surges, which has already raised sea level around the Earth by about one foot. Robertson's restoration, which included two parking lots offshore, has been a surprisingly successful example of a public and private collaborative effort to ensure the protection of our coast. Well, it is hard to talk about millionaires on Georgia's coast without mentioning Cumberland Island. Of course, Cumberland Island is famous for the Carnegie Mansions, which are impressive places to visit. Have you been there? I have. I have been to all of the millionaire mansions we listened to today. And I have to say, Cumberland is probably the most impressive. Well, the most beautiful. Most impressive is probably just the circus room at Sapelo's Reynolds Mansion, though I can't really call it beautiful. Oh, I agree. It's an interesting room for sure. <laughs> but Cumberland's ruins and mansions are definitely my favorite to visit. In the early 1800s, Thomas Carnegie, brother and partner of steel tycoon Andrew Carnegie, 
purchased 12,000 acres of the land on our largest barrier island for only $75,000. He helped to revitalize the 59-room Queen Anne-style Dungeness Mansion, with the refurbishment not fully completed until after Carnegie's death in 1886. His wife Lucy continued to live at the mansion while other illustrious mansions were established for her children, including Plum Orchard, the Grayfield Inn, and Stafford Plantation. In 1959, after the Carnegies had long moved out of the Dungeness Mansion in 1925, the mansion was destroyed by fire, alleged to be arson. Many stories and lore circle the fate of those who lived on Cumberland and in the Dungeness Mansion itself, but the ruins are preserved today by the National Park Service as part of the Cumberland Island National Seashore after Lucy drafted a will forbidding the sale of any particular pieces of land on the island without the consent of all of her children. When a mining operation was proposed on the island, Nancy Carnegie Rockefeller refused to allow the sale. Rita Wright, Carnegie's granddaughter, also took a stand against developers and fought to keep the island pristine. To do this, she invited President Kennedy's Secretary of the Interior to tour the island, and the National Park Service became interested in the future of Cumberland. But that's not the only wealthy family on Cumberland, right? Nope. Today, the north end of the island belongs to the heirs of the Coca-Cola founder, Asa Candler. The Candler family employed a woman by the name of Carol Ruchtershell. The book Untamed, The Wildest Woman in America and the Fight for Cumberland Island goes into this story more about the person who convinced President Jimmy Carter to protect the Chattahoochee River after she took him on a canoe trip to show him the pollution pouring into it. Which brings us to our listener question from Beth in Chatham County. What can we do to help protect our rivers, which lead into our estuaries? There are many different paths to take when it comes to clean water and promoting good water quality on our coast. As Beth stated, the estuaries are where the rivers meet the sea, and it all starts with rivers, creeks, and streams across Georgia. A small amount of pollution can have a lasting effect on the entire watershed, and problems inland can quickly affect our coast. Installing microplastic catchment systems on your washing machine is a great way to reduce plastic pollution. Conducting local cleanups and participating in your local Keep America Beautiful campaigns can make a big difference to our water quality. Check out the link in our description to learn more. Pollution prevention means eliminating or reducing the amount of toxic and potentially harmful substances at their sources, not using harmful pesticides and herbicides on your yard, which can then run off into waterways after rain, is a great way to help fight against pollution that leads to our oceans. Which reminds me, Brittany, what did one ocean say to the other ocean? Uh-oh, what? Nothing. It just waved. <laughs> You know I love a good water joke. Wastewater jokes aren't my absolute favorite, but they're a solid number two. <laughs> For more information about any of the topics we covered today, or to submit your question that may be featured in our upcoming episodes, please email us at signer.socials at gmail.com. That's S-I-N-E-R-R dot socials at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Sapelo Nerds, a coastal science podcast brought to you by the Sapelo Island National Estuarine Research Reserve. Please check back for more episodes released on the 1st and the 15th of each month. And that's the Sapelo Sound.